So today's second Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 23, verses 44 through to 56. And this can be found in most pew Bibles on page 1106. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was the righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this this sight saw what took place, they beat the breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the woman who had followed the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decisions and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, uh, Kevin, for reading uh, that passage of scripture for us this morning. Let's uh, come to our God in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And we ask, O Lord, your blessing upon its proclamation this morning, that your word would speak to our hearts, Lord, as we reflect upon the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the glory and the joy that that brings to all those who put their faith and trust in him alone. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, today on Good Friday, um, I'm sure, as John mentioned, some of us might enjoy those hot cross buns. We already had that this morning for breakfast. That is a tradition in our home on Good Friday. We, um, I, in fact, put the oven on this morning. But you know what? I put it on rapid heat, but I did not put the temperature on. <laughs> How's that? And so Rose came to the oven and said, Chris, what's happened? I said, I put it on. You asked me to put it on rapid heat. There it's on, but it was cold as ever, so there you go. But anyway, we, we, we got there in the end, and uh, it was nice to have some hot cross buns. What a variety of hot cross buns. Now you've got the chocolate buns, the cinnamon ones, the apple cinnamon. Oh, man, anyway, doesn't matter. The point is that we meet today because it is indeed a wonderful day. It is Good Friday because it brings good news. I was reflecting upon it myself this morning and this past week in preparation for today and thinking how good and wonderful our God is and what a good message we have for ourselves and a message to share. What a glorious hope that we have in this message of Good Friday. And so today we're going to reflect on uh, the meaning of Good Friday. We're going to look at uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 23 
verses 44 to 49, which is our text for this morning. And we're going to look at this passage under, under three headings. The darkness, the prayer, and the response. We want to look at the darkness, the prayer, and the response this morning. Firstly, friends, we notice in our text this morning that it was now verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You see, this was a planned event of history, and it was about to reach its fulfillment. God had promised that he would send his son to deal with our sin against him. The promise itself was made. If you look at the Bible, right back in Genesis chapter 3, and in verse 15, we have this amazing promise which theologians call the Proto-Evangelium. That is, the first gospel was preached right there in the garden when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God. And so it was a planned event in eternity before the creation of the world had arrived. And that day, that moment, had arrived. And we read that there was darkness. Indeed, the entire universe, with untold light years of space, and the millions of galaxies, was responding to the event that was taking place here on earth. And here we see that the creation itself is involved in this special moment in the history of humanity. And we read in our text that it was about the sixth hour. You see, the Jewish day began around 6 a.m. And so the sixth hour was midday with the sun beating down. It was noon. And our text tells us that there was darkness over the land. It was pitch dark. No moon or stars. And the question then is, what caused this darkness? Or who caused this darkness? Now there are some who suggest that this was a natural eclipse. Now that is not possible since this time was the Passover, which was set by the full moon. So you cannot have an eclipse with a full moon. So what actually happened here? You see, friends, this was a special, unique act of God. A miracle. And God brought about this. Because here in Golgotha, or what we may call in Latin Calvary, was his only son. The one he loved. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, on the cross of crucifixion. And creation is responding to this Savior who is now on the cross. And let me draw attention to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, which tells us this in this passage about Jesus. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And so we see this creator God in the flesh on the cross 
and now the creation is responding in an amazing way with a miracle and act of God bringing about this darkness. And so the question arises, what is the meaning of all this darkness? Was there a meaning about the darkness? What is actually going on here? Let me give you an example. One example from the book of Amos, chapter 5, where Amos speaks of the day of the Lord, which gives us, I think, a clue in understanding this darkness. We read this in Amos chapter 5, verse 18, and then in verse 20. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. And then in verse 20, Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light? Pitch dark without a ray of brightness. You see, the darkness, friends, is a symbol of God's judgment. Darkness meant judgment. It symbolizes the wrath of God. It symbolizes the presence of God in judgment. And in the context of the cross, this is God's judgment for sin against Him. And we need to see that this morning. That the creation has responded. Bringing darkness for three hours. And it symbolizes sin. The judgment that is going on here. And what is actually taking place. You see the Bible tells us that we have sinned against God our creator. We know that don't we? To you? Our conscience tells us, right? Correct? We know, I know in my heart, the sins that takes place within here. And you know it, and your conscience tells us, tells you, and tells me, and it points out to my own weaknesses, my own failings, my own frailties, and my own sinfulness. And so the Bible tells us, you see, that we have sinned against God. We have disobeyed Him. We have turned our backs on Him. We are living in opposition to Him. We have pushed Him out of our lives. And we see this happening more and more. Oh God, you do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. You don't get involved with my life. It's about me and self. And so we deserve His judgment upon ourselves. We deserve the justice of God. Now, all of us would agree that when a crime is committed, we want justice, don't we? When someone is brutally attacked, when someone is hit with a king hit, when someone is raped, murdered, we cry out for justice, don't we? And when justice is not meted out, and we hear and we ask, and we ask the question from our courts and our judges, why are you not taking action? Because we want justice to be done, a wrong to be made right. And God is a God of justice. And we deserve His judgment upon ourselves. Don Carson in his book, uh, Scandalous, makes the point. He says, God is the most offended party and he is our judge. God is the most offended party 
and he is our judge. And so because God is holy and just, he cannot tolerate anything unholy. And so God in his grace and mercy and love, he has not let us in our own pitiful state instead he sent his perfect son Jesus into this world. And Jesus bore the darkness of our sin upon himself. He bore the punishment for us. And all the judgment of God for our sin was laid upon him and his precious sinless son. One commentator puts it this way. Hell came to Calvary that day and the Savior descended into it and bore its horrors in our stead. Hell descended upon Calvary. See, it was three hours of untold agony that Jesus went through on that cross. And God the Father broke into the stage, so to speak, and brought about darkness in the land, symbolizing his judgment, his power, his presence, his wrath against sin. It was an act of God, a miracle of God. But friends, if you look at the text, there is another miracle that took place as well. Very carefully in verse 45. I hope you haven't missed that this morning. The end of the darkness. There was another miracle, an act of God, that took place which coincided with the death of Jesus. Verse 45. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Wow. Now we have curtains, don't we, in our homes? Uh, maybe we have the modern thing called blinds. Lots of people have blinds now. The white blinds, the brown blinds, all these things. But we have curtains. Whatever it is that we might use, we may put curtains or blinds. The idea of having curtains or blinds is generally to shut the outside world from looking into our homes and to give us privacy. Correct? So we would close the blinds, for example, at 6 o'clock in the evening when you put your lights on. You wanna, maybe you do it. I don't know. So in the Old Testament... There was a grand curtain. It was woven, I read, read about this curtain, it's woven with expensive yarns from Babylon. And its function, its function was to block all view from the access of the Holy of Holies in the temple of God in the Old Testament. Let me tell you something about the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the innermost, the most sacred area of the temple at Jerusalem. The Holy of Holies was constructed as a perfect cube and it contained the Ark of the Covenant which was the symbol of Israel's special relationship with God. And the Holy of Holies was accessible only by the high priest. And that only once a year on Yom Kippur, that is the Day of Atonement, the high priest was permitted to enter the Holy of Holies to burn incense, to sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial animal on the mercy seat of the ark. And so in doing so, the high priest atoned for his own sins and those of the people, Hebrews chapter 9. And so the Holy of Holies, separated from the rest of the temple, was separated by this curtain. And this curtain, it is said, was the grandest of 13 curtains in the temple woven with the most expensive yarn from Babylon. It had colors of blue, white, red and purple. 
And its function, as I said, was to block all eyes from the access to the Holy of Holies because God is holy. And no one could get into that place. Even the high priest had to atone for his sins before he went in there. And now Luke tells us that at that moment, at the death of Jesus, this curtain was sliced in two from top to bottom. In fact, we read more that took place as well in Matthew. Matthew gives us this, Matthew 27. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then Matthew gives us this. The earth shook, the rocks split. Imagine that. And this happened, friends, around three o'clock in the afternoon, when the priests were in the temple. I don't know about you, I would have run from that place. Wouldn't you? I mean, they're at the temple, they're bringing these sacrifices, and lo and behold, before their very eyes, this temple, this curtain is torn from top to bottom. What a great symbolism again. What is God saying here? What is He saying to us this morning? What is, it, what is Luke trying to communicate to us this morning? What is the Word of God trying to tell us this morning? It is telling us something about the character. It is telling us something about the nature of our God. His holiness, His majesty, His awesomeness. And through the symbols of this darkness, and now the curtain, and the rocks being split, and the earthquake. God is speaking. And this curtain now, friends, tells us something amazing. Another miracle symbolizing that now, as the precious blood of Jesus was shed on the cross for our sin, access is now opened directly to the heavenly holy of holies into the very presence of our eternal God. How? Through the precious blood of Christ. Did you see that this morning? Do you see the implications of that for yourself today? What a glorious hope the message of Good Friday is. That's why I titled this message, The Triumphant Death of Jesus. You see, this death is a triumphant one, as we will see, and hopefully we will see this this morning. You see, we have access into the very presence of the living God through faith in His Son. And we can be reconciled to the eternal, powerful God, our Creator, through His Son, Jesus. What a glorious comfort, friends, to know that you can come to this God this morning through faith in Jesus. Does that give you joy? Do we hear an Amen? I'm not, this is not an auction, but I'm just saying. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? What a glorious thing this is. I mean, it is beyond, it is beyond my comprehension. You know, when I was preparing this message this past week, there are moments that I, I'll just share this again with you, I got up from my office desk, I, I looked out of the window, it's a beautiful blue sky, and I said, Lord, how could this be? How could this be, your amazing grace? marvels me every time. 
see, the cross of Jesus, from the human perspective, was scandalous. But God determined every move. It was his plan. And so we have the prayer. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You know, the last words of anybody, it's very precious, right? Have you been by the side of a loved one who's passed away? You thought about their last words? It's a very emotional moment. You will remember those words always, wouldn't you? What that person said in their dying moments. Precious words. And the precious words of Jesus here is, Father, into your hands I commit. You see the Greek that tells us there, he cried out with a loud voice. It is a megale voice. It is a great voice. You see, this, this is why it is a triumphant voice. It was not a weak, pathetic voice on the cross. Ah, ah, no. It was a great voice. It's like a megaphone being used. That's the word. Mega. It's a big voice. Think about it for a moment. How would you and I be there on the cross? Scourged, mocked, whipped, scorned upon. Would you have the energy to cry out? I don't think so. You see, leading up to his death, Jesus had no sleep. He had been betrayed, denied. He suffered under the hands of wicked and cruel men. We read in the Gospels of the suffering that Jesus went through. He had been shamed. He was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah chapter 52, 53. He was publicly humiliated. He was spat upon. He was whipped. He was nailed to the cross. A crown of thorns was put on his head. And you want to see a picture of what Jesus looked like on the cross? Have a read of this text. Isaiah 52, 13 and 14. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. That was Jesus. Can you imagine that? What a sight. An appearance so disfigured. Couldn't even recognize that there was a man that was hanging on the cross. His form marred beyond human likeness. You see, he suffered, friends. He suffered under the hands of the wicked who had done all they had to do to his body. But they could not touch his soul. And Jesus, hanging there on the cross, just moments away from his death, cried out. He comes to his father praying, into your hands I commit, this, commit my spirit. And this also, friends, is a fulfillment of scripture. Psalm 31 verse 5, into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. You see, in that psalm, David said that he would commend his spirit to God when he was asking God to save him from his enemies. And now Jesus fulfills the cry of the earthly David, just like David had done. He commends his spirit to the Father. Friends, the point is this. Our souls will live on when we die. 
correct. Our souls will live on. We don't just pass on here. Our souls will live. There is such a thing as life after death. And what a comforting thought. I just want to put that out here this morning to you. What a comforting thought to commit one's soul to the hands of the Father. You think about that. Your dying moment. When death comes and taps you on the shoulder. And says, time's up. Time's up. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And they are safe hands, aren't they? The hands of God is the safest pair of hands. And I want to see, us, see the contrast here as well for a moment. You see, Jesus suffered at the hands of wicked men. They did everything cruel to him by their hands. And they nailed these hands to the cross. And the contrast in the picture is very telling. The hands of the wicked men and the hands of the comforting God, the Father. Do you see that this morning? Have you committed your soul to the hands of the Father? Because if you have not, you have no security. I have no security. This world has no security. Friends, come then to this Father. And then we see this, that he yielded, and he gave up his, his soul, and he breathed his last. He yielded up his spirit. You see, death did not take him. He took death in his terms. You see, Jesus laid down his head and gave up his spirit. You see, death, his death was a conquering one. His death was a victorious one. His death was a triumphant one. His loud cry was that like an army commander who had won a battle. He was in control of his death. This was a voluntary giving up. He completed the work of the Father. Because by his blood on the cross, by his death, our sins are forgiven. What a glorious message Good Friday is. The triumphant death of Jesus is one that gives us hope and security, joy and peace, forgiveness for our sins, Reconciliation with God. You see, Martin Luther said this, Blessed are they who die, not only for the Lord as martyrs, not only in the Lord as all believers, but likewise with the Lord, as breathing forth their lives in these words, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And notice, friends, the responses, 47 to 49. We have four groups there. If you look at the text, we have the centurion, we have the crowd, we have the friends, we have the women. How did they each respond? The centurion, what was he? Who was the centurion? He was a Roman, a Roman officer in charge of hundred soldiers. He had supervised the cruel beating and treatment of Jesus. He had heard the words of Jesus who said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He would have heard, he would have seen Jesus looking at him, perhaps, and saying this. He heard Jesus say to one of, his, on one of the thieves on, who had repented and put his faith in Jesus, You will be with me in? Where? Today you will be with me in? Paradise. The centurion had heard that. He had witnessed the calmness. By which Jesus gave up his spirit. 
He had witnessed the darkness of the day. He had seen the, the rocks split, the earth shake. And his response was spontaneous, was it not? Look at the text. He praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Mark tells us that he calls Jesus the Son of God. He is moved from being a cruel centurion, perhaps to one of a confession of faith. Then look at further the crowd. What, what were they doing, this crowd? You know, everywhere you go there are crowds, right? And the crowd had come there. And they had come to watch this spectacle that was going on. Uh, one writer puts it this way. They came to witness a show. They left with feelings of war. Now, this crowd, friends, they shouted, crucify him. They were there. And remember on the day of Pentecost, what happened? When Peter preached, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, what happened? What does the text tell us? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Nearly 3,000 believed and trusted Jesus. Some of them were the crowd who were there. The acquaintance, the friends, verse 49, they were there. The disciples who loved Jesus, John was there, perhaps Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, some others, and then the women. Think about these women. Sometimes, guys, women, I tell you, put us to shame. <laughs> now, the blokes who should have been there, they weren't to be seen, but the women, brave women, they were there all the way from Galilee to Jerusalem, ministering to Jesus. So, friends, this morning, the centurion, the crowd, the friends, the women. Someone put it this way. Upon a death I did not die. Upon a life I did not live. Another's death, another's life. I cast my whole eternity. This morning... What is your response to Jesus? How do you see him this morning? What's your view of Good Friday today? See, the death of Jesus was a triumphant one. This was no pathetic poor man crucified on the cross. This is God's son. My question to you this morning is how well do you know this Jesus today? The message of Christianity is about God taking the initiative to reconcile us to God. You must come to faith in the Savior Jesus alone. Death could not hold him to the grave. He conquered it. He rose from the dead. And one day this Jesus will return. And one day the Father will send the Son in power and glory. And the situation will be reversed. Jesus will be the judge. And ultimately we will be in the hands of Jesus Christ the judge. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? I'm asking you that question this morning for you to ponder. Perhaps you're on a journey. Perhaps you've been looking. Perhaps you've been reflecting for months, for years. And you're hearing this message this morning and you say, God, I thank you for Jesus. Take my unbelief 
Open my eyes. I may see your son today. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? It is about knowing and experiencing his love, friends. And to those of us who know him this morning, I was thinking this morning, what can I do, Lord? What can I say? Except, thank you. Thank you. Fill my heart with gratitude that I may serve and love my Savior until my dying day. When I can say, Lord, I commend my spirit into your hands. For they are safe now and for eternity. Are you? Have you? I'll leave that for you to think about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, this morning to to reflect, think, to come to terms with what this amazing work of our Savior Jesus that he did for us, Lord. And if there is anyone here today who does not know Christ, I invite you to join with me in praying this prayer. Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. I repent of my sin. And I put my faith and trust in you, Lord, today. Please forgive me for my unbelief. And let me turn to you in faith. Change my heart. Come into my life, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Friends, we have the joy also this morning of celebrating the Lord's Supper.